Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. Our next investor conference is less than three months away. The Planet Microcap Showcase Vancouver is coming up on September 6th and 7th, 2023 at the Fairmont Waterfront. Be sure to check out um, a recent episode that I did with Paul Andriola, founder of Small Cap Discoveries and the sponsor of our event to learn more, to register and attend. Please go to planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vancouver. I got a full panel today for this episode. Andrew Walker, host of the Yet Another Value podcast, Jason Hirschman, Managing Director of Hudson 215 Capital, and Maj Don, founder of geoinvesting.com. Last year, when we did the mid-year review, uh, we all needed a, a nice glass of whiskey to drown our sorrows in the bloodbath of 2022 for microcaps. 2023 has been slightly kinder. You know, all major indices have, have been up on the year, and as per usual, small microcaps have lagged. I invited all my esteemed colleagues to talk about all of this and more. By the way, Ryan Irvin was supposed to jump on this for the pod, but we had a little bit of a tech issue, so he'll be back on in a few weeks. So thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Andrew Walker, Jason Hirschman, and Maj Swaydon. Gentlemen. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing Thanks well. for having me. Very cool. You know, I, I mean, like I said, just uh, you know, uh, not as bloody as last year. I don't, I don't think everybody is feeling like that that death wound of microcaps as uh, 2022 was. But you know, it seems to still micro small caps still seem to be lagging everything else as per usual um, uh, in times like these. But, uh, you know, I want to start us off with everyone's kind of initial takes on, you know, this the, this half year that was of 2023 and, you know, your your micro cap, small cap investing experience as far as what you've seen. So, you know, to kick us off, um, how about Andrew, come on, we, we're t- we talk all the day on the pods, you know, we're I'm always seeing what's going on there. So uh, let, let's get your take first. Yeah, look, it's tough. Uh, you know, every day you wake up and if you look at CNBC or something, they'll be like indices at new highs. And I- I'm with you. It feels like like small caps last year, especially in the May timeframe, was probably the most depressed that it- I've ever felt when talking to other investors. Like I, the depression was just tangible. I talked to a few small cap guys who were like, hey, maybe I need to hang this up. Like this is just, it's too brutal doing this. I, I certainly don't feel that this year. But, you know, unless you've got something with a real techie, buzzy play, it it's probably just like flat on the year. It, it's been, uh, you know, it's been it's been tough. It's still tough to generate a lot of alpha. I f- still feel like there's a lot of value out there. A lot of stocks that are, you know, I, a lot of my companies, they report numbers. I'm like, oh, these guys are performing really well. And then I look at the stock price. It's like, OK, the stock is up. 50 basis points. And, you know, if you zoom out three months, the stock's down 10%. And I feel like they're doing better than normal. So yeah, look, companies keep humming along. Everybody's worried about commercial real estate. Everybody's worried about recessions. The companies I look at, they're they're doing just fine. They've got great balance sheets. So in general, I feel like it's a pretty nice time to be a stock picker, even if the near-term results kind of aren't showing that. 100%. We'll dig into a lot of that too. Actually, some of the questions that we got in from Twitter are hitting on a lot of that stuff as well. So Maj, you know, we uh, you were in Vegas. You know, you did some moderated Q and A's that were pretty awesome. You talked to management teams uh, 
nonstop. I mean, what's what's kind of your take? What's the tenor in speaking with some of these management teams as well? Well, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that part and I'll also touch on how I feel, you know, about the market in general. But, you know, from talking to a lot of, you know, companies, um, you know, we interview a lot of companies at Geo before we, um, you know, bring them on the platform. We, we read a lot of, you know, commerce called transcripts. And the one thing that was interesting is, you know, the, the, those companies that are not doing so hot um, operationally, you know, are basically, you know, blaming um, more, I don't want to call it a recession, but certainly on the B2B type of relationships. So customers, you know, maybe aren't filling their inventory or as quick as they used to, and because of uncertainty. So I just want to throw that out there. You know, I don't, I don't think they're seeing necessarily a recession, you know, in the consumer side. That you know, consumers, but there's a lot of uncertainty on the B two B side of it, which makes it a little bit challenging when you're talking to companies because the consumer might still be strong, but the companies might not be kind of you know um, uh, anticipating that they continue, or and so are, are basically. Um, you know, not really preparing for as much growth. So I'll have to be interesting. And so if we, if we do avoid a recession or something, I'm gonna, it's going um, it's to be pretty cool to see how that comes back. But and then in terms of the market in general, you know, um, I just, we're in this really, I'm, I've been you know, tweeting about it a lot and talking about it for, for a while now, maybe over, since 2022, that this reminds me, you know, a lot of the dot-com um, kind of bubble thing and the crash where you you know, during that time, and it's funny, William O'Neill had the same kind of perspective on this too, about talking about .com, like his strategy of GARP and, you know, momentum and value wasn't really working that hot back then. Um, or I don't want to say GARP, but he was definitely an earnings kind of a driven strategy with momentum. It kind of took a back seat during, you know, the the .com kind of bubble. Uh, bubble and then when it burst, it became very popular again, I guess, according to him. And I, I remember going through that myself. You know, I had a lot of you know garbage type of stocks, and I also owned some dot com stuff and made some money in that whole thing. But it was was outperforming my value kind of or garbage stuff. Then when we had the dot com bubble, those stocks have just wonderfully for many many years. And I think what we had here is a fifteen year dot com bubble in terms of like easy money, um, you know, speculative stuff going up. We know that you know, you know, sales growth more important than earnings growth, high multiples because you could afford to do that. You could afford to grow revenue and subsidize your your losses or lack of profitability by just borrowing cheap money or doing offerings at any price you wanted to do it at. Well, that's changed now. You, know, you can't, you know, money is free, and the market knows the companies that are going to be in trouble. So you have this, I think, interesting going on where you have a slow bleed in companies not making money or not, not profitable, bad balance sheets. And they don't have to be like bad balance sheets. If you're not making money, you're going to start being valued on your earnings. Um, I'm not saying across the board, everyone, but yeah, in general, I'm seeing that. And then I'm also seeing this really, really awesome uh, performance by stocks that are actually back to that garbage thing. So if you actually are a stock picker right now, using these you know, traditional valuation metrics is, you know, me, um, you know and, and momentum, what I'm finding is momentum, plus GARP, plus finding stocks in the meat of a growth cycle or catalyst is working really, really well. And um, while you have the slow bleed of the market going on and these other kind of stocks, a lot, and a lot of the slow bleed is happening in the mantle cap area. I mean, this is where a lot of that kind of throth mm -hmm. happened, right? A lot of great, sexy stories with nothing behind on earnings. And so we we get frustrated and blame, oh, why is the mantle cap market so bad? Well, it's because there's a lot of shitty companies <laughs> in the market cap space. And that they comprise a lot of that in, in the indexes that are out there, right? And so we're seeing that slowly kind of dissipate. But underneath that current, there's really, really, really good stuff going on. So I ran like a like a model portfolio with, you know, and another product we can talk about some our time, Bobby, uh, outside Geo. But you know, I've been testing it you know, about a year and a half now. It's all based on GARP momentum and picking these nano cap companies, you know, um, you know under... I'm looking at under 500 million market cap, but they're, they're, they generally fall in the under 100 million situation between North America, um, basically U.S. Canada, meeting some strict requirements on valuation and, and, and these growth requirements. And it's like it's you know, it's 60 stocks, you know, doing nothing. It's you know, I have cliff notes, but they're up like 20 percent just by being stupid, you know, just and, and just put them in there. You know, versus that time frame where the Meyer cap indexes are you know barely up or even down big, it's beating, it's it's it's, it's crushing the indexes you know across the board, um, I, and I think it's all the other indexes are up at most five percent and even some are down. 
So that's telling me that that's kind of working again, this momentum plus GARP approach um, using kind of Peter Lynch's principles. So that, I think that there's opportunity here, a lot of it. And um, if you, now I'm not talking long-term, I'm talking these short-term pockets, you know, how do you, in some of these do terminal long-term plays. 70% um, of those companies have been up 20% at least, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's just really, and that's just the low end because they were a lot higher. So I'm just, there is this opportunity now and I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm upset that I don't, I don't own a lot of them. <laughs> I still got stuck with this. I still had that legacy shit that I bought, you know, from a few years ago. Still so hanging in like full illiquid land. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm watching my slow bleed, right? Like, all right, well. <laughs> and that was one of the, I think like, when do you, when do you sell the shit, right? That, that might be do good in three, four, five years. When you trade it in for this, this all, your, all your subs right now are taking notes. Like, okay, what does he mean by sell the shit? Let me see. <laughs> yeah. He's been having these same top fives for the last like three years. Like, which one is he talking about right now? Um, yeah. Oh, that's too funny, dude. That's kind of my perspective. I think it's, I think we're just in this, I think we're in a really interesting bull market current for boring traditional GARP um, stocks going through, um, you know, really good growth cycles. For sure. A lot to go down there as well. I want to get Jason's take, and then we'll get get into some of this too. Sure, sure. And I, I think uh, my take may be uh, sort of a variation of Andrew's take in the sense that you know we're looking at these Nasdaq, you know, the Nasdaq, right? You know, almost making new highs, and then you look at your uh, Russell two thousand or your micro cap uh, indices uh, far away, you know, from any kind of new highs, and, and certainly sort of underperforming this year. So. Yeah, last year was was I think painful for a lot of microcap investors, but this year is there's sort of a different kind of pain because you see other parts of the market uh, sort of performing well, and, and some of your stocks or your area of the market is not performing as well. I, I think the one thing that does sort of concern me is that is is it not necessarily that like a lot of microcap or you know Russell two thousand stocks are really undervalued, but a lot of like tech stuff is like maybe simply overvalued. Uh, and if you look, there's this less statistics for like microcaps, right, than like said of Russell 2000. But you know, right now at the end of 2022, I think 40% of the Russell 2000 was sort of consisted of like unprofitable, like negative earnings stock. Uh, while you go back to like 2007, right before you know 2008, it was close to 20%. You go back to 1999, 1998, it was close to 15%. So you know, you know, if 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 we enter a more normalized interest rate market, we enter a situation where, you know, raising new capital, whether on the debt side or the equity side, is more expensive. Given that so many of these uh, some smaller stocks are unprofitable, it makes me very concerned about, you know, purchasing unprofitable companies with that don't have a very clear path to profitability. Uh, and and it, I think we, all of us on these podcasts always sort of stress the importance of profitability, but I think that's like doubly important maybe even going forward. That was actually, that kind of hits on one of the, one of the, the things that I've talked, had many conversations with over the last six months with, you know, various IR firms and management teams and fellow investors, just, you know, um, that a lot of them had said, dang, wish I raised capital two years ago, <laughs> you know, like, cause now they're, now they're in a place where, or at that time they're like, Oh man, we're, we're in green. Our investors are so happy, you know, uh, this could, you know, it's just that that folly of thinking like this could go on forever. And then here you go, you know, and that's not to say that, you know, every company needed to, but the ones where like you could have looked out and been like, hey, you know what, where our price is at right now, we could have used some of this to, you know, for times like these when all these other prices are depressed or you might be able to get something, you know, some of the, maybe a tuck in acquisition at a discount of what you could have, you know, two years ago. It would be nice to have that dry powder. Um, but I don't know that that's been one of the things that's been a very ongoing conversation happening right now, especially now when you consider how capital is much more expensive than it was. Well, you know, just the guys who are supposed to be experts at this, aside from us, I guess, are bank managers. Definitely right? not the me, bank, you guys, not me. No, I'm bank managers are supposed to be really great at this. And just look at all these banks, like you know, it, First Republic, right? Last year, First Republic is buying back shares, and you know they're getting. It's a bank. Your assets are pretty liquid. Or even if they're loans, like you can value them pretty easily. They're if they ignore all the marks on their book, like they were still trading at two times that book. They're buying back shares. All these guys are buying back shares. And this year, when times are dire, you know, First Republic is gone. They they obviously wish they had held that capital. There are so many banks you see that 
Last year, they're buying back their stock. And this year, all of them are saying, hey, we can't buy back stock. They're probably secretly, they wish they could get a capital raise off Silicon Valley. Like, and that a lot of companies, maybe not the small micro cap because liquidity tends to prevent buybacks, but that mm-hmm. there are a lot of companies that when times were really good and late 2021, they were buying shares. And today their stock prices are 60, 70% lower. They're not buying back shares. So they were buying back shares when times are good. They're not doing it now. And with the benefit of hindsight, as you're saying, they they kind of wish, hey, I had that capital. I might need to do a capital raise now. I bought it 100 and I might need to sell some stock at 30 now. Maj, you were about to jump into. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think this whole you know and, and you know, like Andrew made a good put up um, um, dissected between the, the smaller cap and the large cap regarding capital raises. I mean, from from our perspective, I don't know you too, Jason. You see this all. I mean, there there was a lot of capital raising going on in, in the small cap space before this all imploded. The issue really isn't that. The issue is shitty companies were raising a lot of were raising money. So these are the same shitty companies right now telling you, "I wish we would have raised money back then." Well, you know, you still be shitty now. You're not. If the focus should have, the, the, the answer should have been, I should have been focused on making fucking money and having a business plan that made money. And and that's the issue. They're blaming the market now. They, they just have shitty fucking plans and they can't make any money. <laughs> and that's what, what it comes down to. And, you know, this hypersensitive focus now on profitability seems like a new thing to us, but it's really what investing was all about like for years. It just got lost. And, you know, you have these IR firms and, you know, pitching shitty companies. You have, a really weak um, IPO market in the last several years. This is, I've been, for 30 years, I haven't seen this bad. You, you know, you're better off being private as a better company than going public half the time. So we're just not getting this great pool of smaller companies. That's the issue. The issue is lower quality companies coming public and a lot of these newer companies not thinking about profitability. And I, th- I think that's what I've seen, you know, uh, and I find myself. Well, they, 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 they always thought they could push profitability down the line. And there was always a new set of, of shareholders or existing shareholders willing to right. give them more money. Right. right. So uh, and, and, you know, and for a long time it, it worked, but then it doesn't. And then what? Um, right. So that's, 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 that's what, a real that's, issue. And that's the whole thing where you're going to start seeing this like really kind of switching. You know, I'm, a lot of stocks I'm buying now are just these older companies that have been around 20 years ago that has, that has survived all these markets and now people want them now because they actually make money <laughs> you know and uh and you know i think that you know, the focus from the investors you know find these companies don't, don't have to raise money that can actually just do a lot of that can go organically and that will be able to raise money because they can command it they have the right balance sheet they have the right growth plan they can good companies can go raise money right now you know and that's they, they might not be at the, the best favorable terms they can do i'm talking in the smaller cap space but it's certainly harder but as investors, we need to, you know, our thing, our first thing is, you know, does this company have to raise money to grow? And Ma- if, if it does, we got to, you know, okay, we got to gotta look into that a little bit, right? Maj is in prime form this morning. I'm just I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. freaking loving it, dude. Like, this is what I'm talking about. This is why we have Maj on the pot is, uh, is, is for takes like this. But I mean, every, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's a, everything that... It's funny because, you know, depending on the investor, when I'm doing some of these interviews, you know, you'll have some people that are like, I'm like a kid in the candy store. They're, you're seeing companies that are trading, you know, 50, 60 percent of what uh, they're, you know, their their highs in 2021. And there's still, you know, parts there that are interesting that could ultimately be problem. But at the end of the day, that's a real I mean, that's the case. Like, uh, you know. It should just be a focus on profitability, especially in the microcap space. But, you know, one other thing that one other question that I had for all of you, you know, you know, because we talk, you know, more more generally of our takes and all that and what we just kind of covered here. But I mean, has there been any notable resurgences or notable collapse or disappointments in this first half of 2023? You know, you don't have to name companies in particular, but we could talk about sector or anything like that that you've observed thus far in this first half, you know. Andrew, I'll come to you first on this one, and uh, but uh, Maj and Jason think of uh, maybe a couple others that are out there. You know, I don't know about noticeable sector collapses. I, I guess the most interesting sector to me right now yeah. is banking. You know, I think there are a lot of banks that two six months ago would have fallen into the small or mid cap sector that now are in the mm-hmm. micro cap or small cap sector just because their stocks have been cut in half, and people are terrified of the banks. And you know, in March and April, I. I was pretty nervous, but now I kind of look at it and I think Silicon Valley, First Republic, the other guys, like 
Those were mismanaged banks that were one-offs. Their issues were not systemic. They were one-off. And I think a lot of these banks, you know, I, I can point to a lot of community banks that are kind of trading for half of book value that, you know, just did. I don't know how familiar listeners are with demutualizations and stuff, but they're mm-hmm. because they just did a demutualization, which is basically an IPO. People can think of it. They did an IPO and raised a ton of capital in 2022. So because of that, they're trading at half a book value and most of their book value is just cash. They're just way overcapitalized. And the history of demutualizations is you demutualize and in three to five years, you sell yourself and your executives get really rich because they took a part of the company down in the demutualization. So I I just think there are a lot of banks that are really interesting where a lot of them are getting painted with a broad brush of, hey, we're having a banking crisis. We're going to go into a recession. It's like, it's generally not the thing people have been talking about commercial real estate for 18 months. It's generally not something that you talk about for 18 months that brings banks down. It's generally like a really unexpected thing that just hits them in the face. So I think you're buying really well-capitalized banks at half a book. And I think it's a big opportunity. So that wasn't a like absolute collapse, but that's just where my mind has been and where I was going to take uh, my section of the podcast. Anyway, I was, was just going to say like, uh, you know, we've covered banks quite a bit on, on your pod. You know, you've had quite a few guests talking about that. Um, and it's been every single one has been, I've learned more about banks in the last six months from your podcast. I think that I ever thought I would. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh Jason, you want to you want to take it? No, it's just just a, at first just a. It's interesting because I had a uh, an account with uh, I still do actually with like Western Alliance, which one of the the banks that really got smashed. Yeah, uh, and but you know, in some sense, I also have an account with like you know with one of the you know the big like Wells Fargo, right? And within seconds, though, you know, as as a as a depositor, you're like, why should I st- keep any money over that that limit? And you know, I didn't have to go to the bank. I didn't have to even you know like talk to anybody i just pressed the button and I just transferred the money so there is a little bit with that now risk right because it's so easy now to shift money around what it was you know like 20 something years ago however however I, I will say that like i think below that regional bank you have so so many of these like really small like community banks where there's such a stronger connection between the their you know, their customers and the bank, as opposed to even at the regional bank levels, and I don't, I don't think it really applies. But everyone's just so many people just say, ah, anything below, you know, the, the you know, city, you know, the big four banks, or just you know, you can't stay in them, and that's totally not true. Well, you know, so as retail depositors, like I'm with you, it would be crazy yeah. for a retail depositor to have to, to over two hundred fifty thousand dollars in any bank. Yes. But you know, a lot of these banks, like so, a lot of the community banks, especially their franchise is built on retail depositors with under $250,000. Yeah. Like a lot of these guys say, hey, yeah. our average depositor has 30, 40,000. And that's great. But yes. you know, there is something to like, people get really freaked out about deposits over 250,000. It's true. You shouldn't. But if you're a business, right? A lot of these are operating accounts and you just can't have like 500,000 operating accounts under 250,000. You can't yes. have your operating account where you're pulling it into a money market fund every day. Like some of these chunky accounts are like, it's a 20 million account because it's a you know $1 billion business and they have to make payroll every day or all these other stuff. So th- there yeah. is a reason to have them, but I'm with you. It, it is easier. Like you look at Silicon Valley Bank losing literally tens of billions of deposits overnight. If you rewound as quickly as 2008, like there would have been lines out the door across the street. You simply couldn't pull that much money from a bank because you had to go have a teller, give you a check, deposit it, physically get the check, uh, cash and all that. Like that was the only way to do it. Banks do need to think about liquidity and all this sort of stuff going forward. But look, if you're under $250,000, there's absolutely no need to move it. Yeah, even if absolutely, the bank gets absolutely, stressed. So absolutely. these tend to be like sleepy accounts once yeah. they have them. And it's really nice funding. Yeah. Like our cost of capital is probably higher than even with interest rates going up. It's probably higher than the bank's you know, they're paying 2% on the deposits. We've got a lot higher cost of capital than that. They can fund a lot of stuff pretty profitably. And one other, one other thing I, I will mention is that I think you also see uh, maybe in the beginning, first half of this year, uh, the, the final thrust of some of these like COVID champions sort of getting walloped, right? And, you know, Liat is a, is a name that, that I think wow. was very popular on Twitter, right? And just get hit because their, their sales just drop off, drop off a cliff. Uh, partly because you know it's one of those industries where just with too much inventory moved up into stores, uh, and it's funny to see you know some of these names which everybody loved a year or so ago. Uh, everyone piles onto it for for three or four days, and then everyone just forgets about it. Uh, and you know, it still is it is it is it a terrible business now long term? Is it you know, or is it yeah okay? It may not be as great as people think uh, it was, 
but you know sometimes there's these opportunities now looking at some of these 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 COVID plays uh, that you know as now sales are actually better than their you know and the inventory is coming down so sooner or later that that will even out uh, and and then you know hopefully the stock will perform at some point in time and, and the company will uh, you know grow earnings so I think there's there's opportunities in some of these uh, uh, these COVID darlings to 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 you know that turn into hell holes uh that that just may, may you know may you know rise from the uh rise from the ashes ashes from the ashes yeah not too yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> jason real quick yeah i'm just thinking, thinking like, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, I yeah i got it jason real quick are you a shareholder in uh liat i, I am now yes. I, was I, was, I was i always i always <laughs> mess up as liat liat i always mess up that. whatever whatever i it's it's you know you're you're been with a New Yorker or LA called Leah, called Leah, right? Yeah. So uh, one, one day I'm gonna get management on the pod. I've been, I've been, we're, been that, that's been, yeah, a, that's yeah. been a golden yeah. goose for the last like year. <laughs> right. And part of the other thing is, is sometimes these management teams, especially microcaps, they don't explain when something goes. You know, they don't, they don't like to give too much detail about their like the business, right? So you know, in Leah's case, right, things it seems like it suddenly like went went to hell. Right, but we're gonna probably gonna find out in another six months or nine months. It wasn't that situation at all. It's just that they, for whatever reason, didn't want to sort of, you know, let the market know that things were slowing down or they had inventory issues and things like that. Uh, so sometimes it's just it's just you know tiny little companies don't do a great job of explaining themselves or disclosing. Uh, but you can take advantage of that if you if you if you sort of reach out to well, them or, or or just just look at the numbers a little more closely. Well, no, Jason, it's the classic case of like, hey, I'm a small company. When bad news is convenient, like you just try and take advantage of that and hide, um, yes. right? Not do. And then when so a great quarter, it's like, why are more people paying attention? You know, so it's like a, it's almost like a convenience factor once, uh, you know, when things are going bad. And then when things are going great, it's just like, wait, why are more people? It's like, well, you should have probably been communicating bo in both times so that people are, you know, for better or worse, following at least. But, the, but there's a natural goes. human tendency just to. Sure. No to, doubt. No doubt. There's like, no denying. Yeah. Right. But you should be talking about it. Come on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Come it. Come on. Yeah, exactly. We still want their podcast, for goodness Come sake. On. Go on it's the okay. podcast. It'll be fine. Maj, what do you got? No, I, 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 full disclosure, I don't eat. I don't only eat. And uh, I still. <laughs> I said, Five minutes before the big run from three to thirty, <laughs> literally it was like my bottom ticked it, but uh, wish I would have had it. Um, but um, yeah, I think Jason makes a good point here in terms of um, you know you can find right now some of these like the COVID example he gave is a great example. There's these stocks that had real businesses, um, they made more and they found a way to make money from the COVID um, you know scenario. But the base business, you know, now now we got to look at the base business. They're cycling up against those comparisons, so they don't look as good, even though the underlying business might be growing a little bit. But they're going up against those code revenues, so I don't know how long it takes to, you know for those comps to start looking good. But sometimes evaluation gets good enough where it's gonna be worth waiting that growth that the cycle now, right? So, you know, making that list of stocks that got you know killed during COVID would be, is a, I think, is a, is a great is a great plan. You know, the other thing you can look at, I think, I don't really follow sectors too much, Bobby. So I don't, I don't, I just can tell you maybe the AI one is going to implode one day. I, we we all know that probably, but uh, on, on the on the nano cap side. But I think what I'm looking at too is trying to find these companies that are getting crushed right now during earnings season because they didn't, they, they got blindsided or something happened there. Maybe their maybe their debts going, the interest rates going up, in their and their interest expense aligned. Just they didn't see it coming, and they're and they're going to make changes, and they're just getting crushed. And you'll see some stocks in earnings time getting crushed 60 percent, like out of the blue. It's crazy for even the slightest miss. And you know, making that list of those stocks that have fallen sharply that you think are going to come out of this, you know, um, is really a great opportunity. Uh, and you see a lot of that in nano cap land. And mm -hmm. I think there's and there, there's a lot of actually stocks with significant revenue that are trade as nano caps. You know, they're not just and those are the ones I'm looking at. These really seasoned companies just getting killed and making quick moves to restructure. Let's tweak a little bit. So, you know, a year and a half from now, um, the numbers will look a lot better, but we're buying it now. So it, it really prices you won't be able to, you won't see again. So you're seeing these mini crashes in some of these good quality companies, not just the ones that aren't doing good because they missed a quarter or two. Um, and I think that's um, a bucket I'm kind of, you know, really making a, a big list for right now. 
that's that that I, that's been kind of one of the going trends also I've been hearing too. You know, this actually leads into one question, you know, not not necessarily, you know, when a company has, you know, one quarter miss necessarily, but you know, uh, you know, I put out that uh you guys are coming on the podcast and to solicit some good questions and uh got a few of them. So the first one came in from Luke Walgram. Uh, at Luke uh Walgram, Jason, he was on uh the it was on the Europe uh, panel, yeah. Yes, he was. Um, and 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 Luke asks, you know, how does one deal with multi-year drawdown, sideways movement on a stock when a company is making underlying progress, but the stock is going nowhere? Do you wait it out? Do you move on at some point? You know, I think that's a pretty interesting question because there are, have been some companies that have been, you know, continuing to progress, announcing good contract wins, you know, having a decent quarter, not losing money, you know. And so, I think that's a, I think that's actually a really good topic. I mean, who wants who wants to take a stab at it first? Jason, I'll go. I'm gonna. From my view, I'm gonna go counterclockwise. So, Jason, I'll go you first, and then we'll go to Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's always a challenge, right? I mean, it's it's part of the problem is is like like investing is not like Netflix, where like if you're just bored with the show for for like after 30 seconds, you just switch on to a next one, and then another one, and another one, right? Uh, so sometimes there could be moments when this when clearly the stock price is ahead of the fundamentals, and then the, the question is like, well. How long does it take to backfill the fundamentals, right? And then you can, and 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 you have the classic situation of, of, of Buffett with Coca-Cola, where I mean it got very high priced, and it took a very long time for it to backfill. Or after the you know the, the two thousand crash, you have you know great companies like Walmart, which just got such high valuations, it takes so long to backfill that if you just bought it right before then, your overall return is not you know it's not too high. So I mean, uh, there's so many factors that go into a situation like this, and partly is you know how what kind of tolerance you have uh, for, for just, you know, moving sideways. Some people get bored uh, and it's something, there's nothing wrong with just taking some of it, you know, a little bit off the table, you know, what kinds of concentration, what's your tax basis, all of that comes into play. But you know, when I, I go back to this, the main thesis, which is that, look, you know, use the Peter Lynch, uh, you know, test, like, where are we, where is the stock? Is it, a, you know, is it the third inning or is it like the seventh inning? Uh, if it's the seventh inning of a, of a stock, then you probably don't want to you know, give it that much time, right? If you think it's more likely that this is the third inning and, and there's so many more you know, rounds to play you know, in, in a great growth company, then I think you have to give it a lot of role. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's an art and a science. Very good. Andrew? I like how Jason was asked how you respond to multi-year drawdowns. And Jason's first instinct was go to... What happens when you buy a stock and it gets really overvalued really quickly? I I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, look, I I mean it's hard. I think the longer you you do this, the more you think, you know, there's not much edge to be have to be had on the research side. Like I, there have been people who have gotten really good scuttlebutt checks or physical checks or stuff, but those are very few and far between, in my opinion. I think the longer you do this, the more you realize this is a lot of this is a psychological game and dealing with big drawdowns and uh, building the build dealing with big drawdowns is one of the tough things. And another of the tough things is like, look, good thesis is there are a lot of them out there. What really matters is doing the work to have conviction in the thesis so that when the stock price is down 10, 20, 30 percent, you know, if you don't have the conviction, a lot of times you you'll sell it into that, you know, it'll be down 30% on bad numbers and say, oh, this is a disaster and you sell, or it'll be down 30% on bad numbers and you say, oh, this is a buying opportunity, you buy. And if you've done the work, you know, the right answer is, oh, this is an absolute disaster. I need to get out now before things come. So yeah, I, I think it's just over time doing the psychological things, uh, being able to deal with them, doing good work so that you know, hey, you know, the portfolio is down 50%, but actually the portfolio is in a much better place than it's ever been. It's time to maybe deploy some cash or sell some of the things that are down 50 to buy some of the things that are down 70. Or, you know, an, another thing is I personally was very guilty of this in 2021. A, a few of my positions got to, you know, if I thought they were worth $100 per share five years from now, they kind of, as Jason said, they were in the seventh inning and they were trading at 95. And I was kind of like, oh, my tax basis is 30. I don't want to sell because I think it's worth a thousand five years from, or a hundred five years from now, and I don't want to take the tax hit. So let's kind of take a sub average IRR just to hold on to this thing. But as Jason was saying, they're in the seventh innings. It's not like there's huge growth. Like I'm kind of just milking the last few things, being convicted enough to, in your work to say, hey, I can sell this. I can take the, yes, the taxes suck. I do need to think about the after tax consequences, but 
I can sell this and go find the next great thing or, you know, just hold some cash for a while, that type of stuff. Very good. Mosh? Yeah, I think I just, you know, both Jason and Andrew made some great points there. I know if, I know an Andrew's point there regarding, you know, you set, if you have a discipline, keep it. You know, I'm guilty for the same thing. I'm holding stocks well past their expiration date probably in 21 because you get emotional. And then um, then what do you do? And then, and then as they come down, if you didn't sell them, and you, know, you have a harder emotional decision. So I think number one is to really continue to um, understand what why you bought a stock and, you um, you know, if it's reached your some of your you know price target goals, or like like Jason said, if you're in a, in, in a later innings of of the growth, you know, make some decisions at that point and stick to them. Don't second guess them. But yeah, I think it's the hard one of the hardest things that any investor goes through really is waiting. How long do you wait? And you know, I had to wait, you know, 15 years for one of my stocks to you know to to make make a move. But if I would have held it just for a three the last three years, it would have been the best. <laughs> so I wasted 13, you know, 12 years there, right? So it's it's not easy. So what kind of I like the way I like to do it. Um, is just when I have a portfolio, if I have the long-term portfolio, I'm just content with. I just, I've understood that I like this company a lot. I'm just going to wait until it happens. I, if I still think it's undervalued, I have conviction. I don't care about the price volatility. Um, and, you know, having that self-discipline, if it goes up, to have like these maybe sell targets potentially. But I, I like to have my like my side pocket short-term stuff. I'm not talking like day trading, but still based on fundamentals, stocks that I can at least psychologically make money on to feel good, that I'm making money in some shorter-term stuff whether it's you know six months or nine months or three months that based on some fundamental value, I might not love it long-term, but I might like it for a 50% move in the short run. So trying to have that combination where for me it was, if I can make some money in the short run on some great fundamental type of um, you know, strategies, I, I can psychologically you know hold the longer term stuff a little bit. So that's how I kind of handled it. Um, but there is that situation when you, when you, you, you run in that uncomfortable zone where you have a stock you've held for a long time. You're just not quite sure yet. You're not quite sure if they're ever going to come through. And that's, I, I don't have an answer for it because, uh, I know when I was younger and what worked for me, if I didn't like a stock, I would just, if I had any answer, I would just sell it. I would take my loss, move on. Cause I know there's 20,000 stocks out there, 10,000 micro cap stocks. I'm always going to find something. And I've always felt when I've done that. It's like, you know, I felt this relief. It's like breaking up with somebody. <laughs> You've been going out for a long time. It's harder thinking about it, but then doing it, right? So once you do it and you go back, all right, well, um, you, you, there's always going to be opportunity. That's the, way I, that's the way I look at it. So if it's caught you so much mental stress where it's keeping you from actually progressing in your portfolio in total, it might, might be good to start like at least peeling some off and start, ha start having some success somewhere else. Uh, but, 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 or, you know, or if you have them, Maybe it's not a problem. No, you can hold long term. You don't even care about it at all. I mean, I think some of the greatest investors have the ability to tune it all out and not even care. Right, this is my position. I don't care if it takes one year. I don't care if people are making 30% of the years. I'm making nothing as long as, you know, in year 10, I'm going to just do things in this going to catalyze so big. So I, it's really a personal kind of decision, I think. And, and um, you know, um, that's how I deal with it, though. So. Bobby, if I could just add one more thing. Sure. Yeah, the, the, the great growth stocks and not just in micro caps, but, you know, sort of larger companies too, right? And they, they spend so much of their life uh, well off the 52-week high, right? Or, or all-time high. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you, if the expectation is, I think, among some investors that you're like, your stocks should always, the great, you know, companies are always at a high. And that's not true at all. On the other hand, though, like the mediocre stocks are also spend a lot of times off their high. Right. So <laughs> the challenge is they're always to figure out, like, you know, is this a great company or, or not a great company um, and, 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 and what inning it is. Uh, and then if you if you understand that, then all this other stuff is just small potato stuff. A hundred percent. You know, I want to I want to. By the way, I, I have no comment for everything that you guys just said, everything. One, I think Maj made what, what you closed out with there is that it's all an individual pursuit. It's. Really, Ian talks about this all the time when he when he puts out his tweets about you know investing is very much tied to your personality in many respects. So it's just a matter of you know this is your own personal journey and how you handle that is really up to you and what you feel most comfortable with. But I wanted to move on to another topic. This wasn't a question for Twitter, but it was something I thought of in getting prepped for today. And you know you could always make the argument that micro nano cap investing is just special situation investing in general, right? I mean, in, in some in many respects, but. It seems like in the last six months, there's been more of these kind of special situation-y type 
situations or ideas coming up. I mean, Andrew on on the pod, Vate and and Cutter or Kuteras, Q Q T R. Just speaking of that, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have seen more of some of these things happening right now, especially as some of these companies are either restructuring, you know, going through strategic reviews, um, uh, strategic alternatives, you know, trying to figure things out. But I mean. You know, Andrew, I know you're talking with quite a few of these investors to come on the pod to talk about some of these things because some of those investors have been in the name for a while are now getting interested because there's some of this weird, hairy stuff going on. You know, I'd love to hear your take if there is more of that right now. I think there is probably a little bit more. And I think what happens is when times are really, really good and money is just free or when times are really, really bad. It forces companies and money's really expensive and nobody can raise any capital. Those are the two times where it forces a lot of special situations because when times are really good, you'll just have all these crazy bids and you'll have, you know, wild overbidding for companies and that type of stuff because they can issue equity at a hundred times sales or something, or they can go raise. And so you'll have crazy bidding wars. Or when times are awful, you have companies that look and they say, Hey, I've got debt coming due. I've got expensive capital, all this sort of stuff. Uh, you know, investors are really going to hold my feet to the fire. So times are bad. So they they have to do these things. I think those just are the two real catalysts for a lot of events to pop up. And I think that's why over the past few months, you know, companies are coming out and they're saying, hey, you know, in 2021, we were selling people on, we're going to sell 200,000 EVs in 2023. And then in 2023, they say, oh, actually we haven't manufactured a single EV this is a disaster. And you, you've you seen some of these companies file for bankruptcy. You've seen some of these companies liquidate. They, maybe there's some mergers. But yeah, th- those are the type of things that I think spawn these special situations where a company's backs are just to the wall and they've got to do something. Maj? Yeah, I think right now, and, and, and to piggyback on Andrew, what he's saying there, this is, I mean, if you're a special situation investor, you're in a candy store right now, potentially. I mean, because we companies are forced right now they're forced to do things and whatever you want to call us you know debt restructuring spinoffs going through chapter 11 this is a great time to be looking for some of those opportunities and um, I, I we have a single like, minor caps are always in, in kind of kind of restructuring right when I mean, they're always doing things it's just it's, it's funny I, mean, I was just thinking about that and um you can always put that tag on the stock you're looking at <laughs> but uh you know i know that um what's what um um the um, we went to the dot com thing. You had this, all the telecoms, just seventy percent. They all just got crushed, right? And but there was an op- awesome opportunity coming out of that to buy all these Chapter Eleven companies. And when uh, coming out of that whole thing, I mean, I I, I was investing in some of them. My first stock I ever bought was a Chapter it was a Chapter Eleven exit actually when I was young. So I think um, so we're going to see a lot of those. I know Rich, you know, um, the, the, the spinoff thing. He's probably going to have a, like a, a wonderful time finding things here right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you know you're going to see a lot of type of restructurings come out of this kind of mess we're in right now because companies have to become leaner and better at what they do, shed out you know sell operations to raise money and they and, and um, which is going to be good for us. I think we're going to start seeing maybe some really nice opportunity from a lot of this. And I'm I'm particularly looking at the Chapter 11 space. I'm hoping that uh, gives us some opportunity to buy some nice Chapter 11 exits and some, you know, you know, Monster Beverage, number one stock of the century was actually a Chapter 11 exit when it was a private company. So, um, you know, Charter Communications, you know, top, you know, three, five cable company was a Chapter 11 company out of the uh, 08 recession at some point, I think 14 it went Chapter 11. Spectrum Brands, um, the, the list goes on and on. Um, so if there is one side of the special situation, I'm looking, I'm looking at those Chapter 11 situations, and this those very structured their balance sheets or, or, or selling off divisions to become better companies. So, but um, I'm pretty excited about it. And I think that's going to be a wonderful trend for net for several years to come. Wow, I'm so glad I brought this up as a topic to talk about. I wasn't <laughs> even planning on it. This is great. All right, Maj. Hey, real quick. Are you a shareholder in any of the names that you just mentioned? Unfortunately, I'm not a shareholder in Monster. I saw it a long, long time ago when I made 20% or maybe a double or something. That you was know, one of the, that was one of those. Funny. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I just, so my first job out, out of college was Monster, or, or sorry, was at JP Morgan. And I remember a very high up executive for Monster, like came to the office and was talking and they were like, we were the best performing stock over the past 10 years. And somebody, somebody made a joke and, and the guy like took it the wrong way. It was like, listen, 
if you had bought Monster 10 years ago, you wouldn't even be working here. Like you'd be retired on a beach because of the best performance. Stock. And I remember thinking that and I was like, man, this guy's arrogant. And you know what? If we had just bought Monster then, I think the stock's done so well over the past 10 years. We, you could probably still make the same joke. Yeah, that's so true. Wow. <laughs> I, I remember. I remember that was what was funny about the, the funny story about the monster was I just started like, um, I, I was I was full time for some uh, a couple years or whatever and um or maybe I'm sorry maybe like um maybe six seven years, and uh, came across monster. I remember because I drank it. I was drinking in a college one day and I remember you know Peter Lynch by what you know and I, I saw hands was it was H I N S and I was all right cool hands and now I'm monster, so I was I was training somebody, you know I used to give one on one courses when I was young. And I said, hey, well, why don't you interview this Pounds Beverage, see what's going on there, you know? And uh, he went and interviewed him and he goes, yeah, they're having this, they're doing this thing, some energy drink called Monster. And they don't know if it's going to be really big or not. Yeah, it might take off. They're not really sure. So I sold the stock. <laughs> that was my, that was the, uh, the, my experience with Monster. But I remember back then, it's like thinking, wow, that was a, I, I did, I just didn't see it coming. Um, but uh, the, the lesson I learned there was do, do the interview yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's what I should have done. The lesson learned there is like, why didn't I buy Celsius like eight years ago? Like, oh, that was even that. When, I, I couldn't, when, I just couldn't do Celsius, man. That was tough. Amazing, amazing run that one's had. It, yeah. it really has, you know, so that one's so tough because I would go like, I, even though my wife's sitting behind me, she hates it. I, I really like energy drinks and I tried to cut down, but I, <laughs> I, I've been very aware like every gym I would go to would have Celsius in them. And I really, but I mean, you want to talk about a company with red flags. Like th there was a <laughs> yeah. lot of related party dealings yeah. and I knew the product. And it's, just, I think that's just a case of if you were going to the stores and you could just like turn off your investor brain, actually, it, it would have been one of the few cases where it was like, don't read the 10K. Don't read anything. <laughs> just go to the store and see how many people are taking these things off the mm -hmm. shelves and just buy the stock purely on that. And you would have done so, so well. It tasted good. I thought sales just tasted great. You know, and uh, and uh, it was it was a good product. I thought, you know, yeah, was, it's a good product. Yeah. I, I mean, it's I don't know how you differentiate between any of the energy tr drinks. To be honest, I've got a I've got a NoCo container on my thing because you know I, I like the cross. So I'll give I'll hit them if they want to give me a sponsorship. Come come, <laughs> but uh, yeah, hit them up. <laughs> you know, they're they're all kind of the same, but it, it is a habit forming thing, right? Like once you start drinking one, and once you get the distribution, and you're inside the the CrossFit things, and you're really associating with it, but. Yeah. yeah, man, that thing's done well. I don't yeah, know, dude. Yeah, Nothing. It, 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 the, the red flags are ridiculous on that one. I just. I oh, they. they yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Eastern European. I, I believe there might have been an Eastern European mafia angle. I know there was Eastern European related party dealings. Woo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> dilutive dilutive offerings in the past. It was like just couldn't do it. And for full disclosure, I'm not a shareholder. No, there. Just make make sure. Neither am I. Okay, yeah. all right. Just making sure. Yeah, what, what always amazes me about Monster is that you know there's so many people out there who, who on Twitter like bring it up, who are not microcap investors, you know, and who would never have invested at it when it was such a tiny little company. Right. Uh, and then you know, always like, oh, I missed it. But you like, you own any microcap stocks now? Like, <laughs> yeah. no. Well, then you would never buy it when it's that small, right? Even if there was a new monster, uh, right. you wouldn't you wouldn't buy. It. I think one of the, the other like lessons that I've learned over time that, that you know maybe would have applied to Monster is that like anytime you like exit a stock, um, try and follow it for another few quarters because there's always the possibility that your like sell decision was was the error. Uh, so that's like one of the rules that I always uh, apply uh, to, to anything I do. I, I don't. I mean, there's a tendency to like you sell it and just want to, especially if you like took a loss, you never want to see it again, or or, or if it, like continues to run up, you're like I, I never want to look at it again. And I think there's a there's you have to like put in certain tools to sort of fight that fight that tendency. Uh, I will say just about you know, special situations is that uh, I, I when it comes to like special situations, I consider myself like a special needs investor. I have like no skill set to do it. Uh, but I, I think you know sometimes it's it's and you see that often with like with concentrated investors. Like there's certain areas of the market like where all the cool kids are, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a concentrated investor, right? I do like you know special situations, and, and it's like it's it's important to like recognize your own skill set or your own you know own abilities and there's nothing wrong with saying you know i'm not a special skills a special skills you know, a special situation guy or my, my my approach doesn't work with being concentrated and even that's even though that's where all the all the, you know, the cool kids are, are these days is, is nothing wrong with saying you know what i'm just going to stick to what i do best uh, so uh you know I'm, I'm not a special situation guy and, and but i know a lot of people are going to make great money in it and God bless them.
Well, you kind of like, know if it's where all the cool kids are. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on, 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 on average, yeah. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I don't, I don't consider Jason, myself like a, like Jason a sets, special situation guy. He sets the trend, okay? You know, you see, yeah. that's what, that's what he yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. we got, we got, I think we got like 10, 15 minutes left. I know you guys are all busy. You got some things. But, 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 but just oh, about yeah. just, just like, like expel thing. Like, you know, the, the, uh, okay. You know, maybe like the research and, and like doing the work to see whether like violates, the, you know, to be honest, patents. Maybe that's a difference between like, you know, like, okay, the $1 to $4. But after like three or $4, everything else is just like, is this a, a really good, you know, a good business? Do you have conviction, right? It wasn't a special situation after that. So if you look at like $4 up to like, you know, close to $80, that's just, that's just, you know, old school, you know, Peter Lynch investing, you know. Well, I, I think, I think, I think, I think at the point where there was a, the lawsuit with 3M is, I mean, you, you might be able to. Yeah, that, that, that I'm just saying that, 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 you know, that moment there was like special situation, but the, the great, yeah. you know, majority of the game is just one up on Wall Street. Oh, of course. But you got involved in it right around that time, right? Right by the 3M, the, the 3M. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 yeah, I don't know, so. And and for full disclosure, I own I own some stuff. I don't. <laughs> Me neither. Did but don't. Seven, seven. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, like I said, I got like 10, 15 minutes. I know you guys are all busy, and we still have. Uh, I got a couple more questions uh, from Twitter that are really good. That uh, you know, maybe we get your rapid fire takes here. You know, from Mark Tobin, Coffee Microcaps. What up, Mark? Yes. Uh, are we seeing uh, private equity or private industry competitors come in and starting? Uh, making takeovers yet happening in microcap tech in Australia. Um, what are you guys saying? Uh, Andrew's smiling. I'm going to go Andrew first on that one. No, I, that was just a very specific sub-segment. My, yeah, right. Microcap tech <laughs> in Australia. I, I can't, I do. Uh, we're, very, we're, some, very, we're very niche here, man. We're very niche. I, I've looked at some Australia stocks, uh, you know, especially on the more on the resource side, because that's where a lot of resource teams are. I, I can't really comment on microcap uh, tech in Australia. I was just laughing because of how specific it was. Jason? Yeah, I, I'm not 100%. Maybe he meant that to say, like, you know, we've seen takeovers in microcap tech in Australia. Are you seeing in other, 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 other markets in other areas too? I, I can't really. Uh, uh, my, my general tendency is just to stay away from from companies that that rely on a lot of a lot of tech. So I haven't I haven't seen it you know, with with my names, uh, but but I, I do think that it is it always is is a is a risk uh, in some ways, right? Because sometimes like, the worst thing in the world is like you find you find a company you like it and it, it doubles, but you think there's so much left in it, and then like PE comes in, swoops and takes it away from you, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 actually one of the I think you know the great dangers of investing in microcap investing that that uh, that you know some of your most promising opportunities are, are are taken away before they really bear a lot of fruit. Yeah, I was gonna say my quick take on it before I get to Maj on this. Like I I've I think you're speaking specifically right to just microcaps in general in North. I guess let's just say North America seeing a little bit of take if we're seeing more takeouts or anything like that. I I've there's been a few, but I've seen more business combinations um, than anything. Um, I mean, especially in healthcare, I think in the last like couple of weeks, you know, just to Jason's point on, yeah. I, I hear so many people who are worried about, oh, what happens if private equity comes and pays a 30% premium to the share price and takes me out before the growth like really gets going and, and that sort of thing. And I, I absolutely do hear it. And I hear so many people like, oh, I bought this company at 100 EV, private equity bought it for 200 EV, and then they IPO'd it for a billion. And look, that would have been a 5X. So it, Absolutely, there is risk there. But I do think there is a lot of survivorship bias where I know a lot of people who private equity firms take out their companies and they are furious. Like I, I can think of several examples in 2021 where people were like, I'm going to go to appraisal. I, I, I'm fighting this as hard as I can. And a lot of those companies like, look, maybe they got sucked up in the moment. Maybe the private equity firms ran them really poorly. Like there could be a lot of answers. But a lot of those people, you know, with the benefit of hindsight are like, oh my God, I am... I'm so happy that this private equity company uh, took this off my hands. Like one, not to dunk on anyone, but like at home group was a, a retailer that had a long, long store footprint to grow great unit economics. If you think about 2020, 2021, selling stuff at selling stuff to people for their at home was very popular. I know so many people were involved who were yelling at the company when they sold. They, there was a huge vote no campaign. They ended up getting a very tiny bump that just got the deal over the finish line. And I think the company's filing for bankruptcy right now. So, I, I mean, 
it, it turned out that was very much a COVID boom play. So, you know, I, I do, I definitely hear you. And if you're great at this, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Andrew. You're absolutely yeah. right. And, and, and a lot of times, but we're investors, right? So we only bitch about the stuff that, 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 hey, uh, you're right. And <laughs> if you're going for the next great company and you're right, you know, it, as I said, if it was a zero or a 10 X, well, guess what? If, if you were right 50% of the time, getting that 10 X taken away from you is insane. My, I think there's a few names that Maj has in, in his portfolio that he would love to have PE just come in and take out. <laughs> sure. 10% <laughs> premium. The candy store is always uh, open. You want to take anything out of 30% premium. The yeah. candy store is always open. <laughs> there's one stock got in. They, they had a takeover offer that they said no to in 2014 at 26. It's five bucks now. You know, so it, it, to go to your point there. And, uh, but yeah, I think I have, like, I think I, I thought I would see more of it right now. And I, I, I don't think we're seeing a lot of, the stuff in the space now in my cap land, like the takeovers and mergers and stuff. So NPE. So I don't know if it's because it's viewed as a riskier environment, but um, yeah, I haven't seen an, a lot of it. I know over time, I think I've just seen less and less of it happening personally. I thought there'd be a, given the state of the Meyercap space, it's just getting harder to invest in it for a lot of people. You would, I would think that a lot of companies don't want to be public anymore. Uh, and and um, that private equity could take, take advantage of that potentially. For, for uh -huh. microcaps, especially now, I do think the cost of capital, particularly on the banks failing, to bring it back to the first thing we talked, I think if you're buying a $100 million company and you want to get $35 million with loans, I think it's really tough to go find that $35 million as loan. So for a lot of microcaps to exit, e even if it makes sense for them to go private, because if you're $200 million or under, I don't know why you're public. The cost of being public is too high. But I, I do think strategics are really the only game in town for exits currently. Right. Thank you. I just want to say one thing to, to, to Andrew's point. I think uh, the you, you look at some other markets. I think Australia may be one of them. I know I've been looking a lot more than Nordics, uh, like Sweden, for example. Uh, they're, they're a little bit more. The cost of being public is not as high as it is in the United States, right? And they have like healthier, in some ways, micro cap ecosystems. So I think you know, in, in the future, it will behoove. Uh, a lot of uh, microcap investors, not to only be as focused on the other US or Canada, but to go to other countries like Sweden, where frankly, they speak beautiful English uh, and they're very, they're very open. Uh, and and there's, there's a lot of great businesses that emerge from, from that little neck of the woods. I, so uh, I think the future of uh, microcap investing is really very international. I 100% agree with you. I, I was saying that comment more with a, a domestic yeah, yeah. focus. But and it, I, fig I figured it's such. I figured it's it, such. I just want to clarify it. I wish our regulations for microcaps were more like Europe, where like, you know, what is it? Poland has, I think, like 480 different uh, publicly traded video game companies. And the average market cap <laughs> is like $74 US or something. The the latter was a joke, but it's a lot of uh, <laughs> video game companies. It's just cool that there's so many you can search through and like really do some kind of looking for a diamond in the rough. 100%. All right. So um, another question here. Uh, two more questions. Uh, from small cap value opportunities at small cap val. Are there any particular industries that uh, you guys are finding quite uh, a few cheap stocks in? And would you? And what would be the inflection point that might re-rate them higher? Baj, you want to take that first? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not very industry specific. I'm company specific, so I, yeah. I'll, I'll invest in. A, I mean, I have a company right now in the you know um, printing business that is not sexy and not a, not the best industry to be in and most most not doing well and but it's doing well so i'm very company specific so i wouldn't be the I don't, I don't really invest by industry i avoid certain industries i don't know about like you know whether it's um you know oil and gas and very unpredictable you know uh, you know resources but i don't think i'd be a sometimes i like to invest in more the boring industries that no one wants and then is there a potential for a re-rate in the valuation because they're doing things better right in the boring industry so yeah Okay. Well, that's why I came to you first to, you know, to <laughs> knock, knock that out. No, Jason, what do you think? Actually, I'm, I'm going to be uh, something echoing Maj a little bit and, and say that I think I think that I think at least for myself, it's it's the focusing on industries is like the wrong the wrong way to do microcaps. Uh, first of all, like if, if there's a lot of industry cops for your microcap, right. uh, then I, I don't think your microcap's going to be able to succeed very easily. It's really hard. <laughs> Right. So with like, I find a lot of successful microcap investing is, is looking for companies where there aren't easy comps uh, that are hopefully a little bit unique, a little bit different, uh, because you, you find a microcap that, that, you know, you can look at 
six larger companies or four other micro caps or god forbid like like a mega cap that like they're directly great comps with then you know good luck you better you better you better you better pray <laughs> andrew close out on this one yeah no i i think i mentioned it earlier i, I do agree with a lot of what jason just said but Right now, I think there are a lot of banks that have gone from yeah. $500 million market caps to under $250 million market caps, where if you look at the banks, I think all of their all of their metrics look really good. I think they look very cheap. There would be a lot of rationale to some type of merger. And if your forecast is we're going into the Great Depression 2.0, yeah, you probably don't want to buy a single bank because they're all worthless. But if your forecast is mild recession, decent size recession, no recession, like I think you would be very happy buying a lot of these banks that have been cut in half, below tangible book value, nice deposit bases. Uh, and I again, I agree with Jason. No, no, banks are, I think community banks yeah. are probably the exception to the rule. And there's a long history of like very successful like micro cap investing in in like community banks. Uh, uh, but you know, if, if you just got like ABC Corp, that that's like a seventy million dollar company, and it's you know, it, it makes some widget that competes with a three billion dollar company. Uh, and even if it's like slightly better, I, I hate when people are like, oh, this micro cap makes a slightly better product. Good luck. <laughs> slightly better is never good enough. For sure. All right. Two more questions. You know, uh, before I get to the last question from Twitter, you know, final thoughts, you know, now that we're midway through 2023, looking ahead for the rest of the year, 2023, you know, what are some things you might be looking at? How are you thinking about your portfolio? New idea, you know, I'll, you know, pull from pull from that bag. You know, when you think when you're thinking ahead, looking at 2023, Maj, I'll come to you first on that. Yeah, I'm just not just real short and terse for you, man. It's like uh, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, whole GARP, you know, um, momentum. Um, and that's what I'm really doing right now. And it's working well. And I'm gonna, it's, I did for the first 20 years of my career and it worked really well. And um, I'm just having a diversified portfolio of, you know, not not crazy diversified, but different pockets of you know, the long-term multi-bagger stuff, I thought things going to do well over time, um, you know, and it's getting mispriced even more more so now in the market. Short-term stuff working on, you know, this GARP Momo, Momo stuff uh, around some more short-term, like special, I don't want, I want to say use waste situation, but special kind of plays where it's like, if I can trade a stock that's, um, you know, a non-dilutive offering that goes down, maybe buy some. Um, uh, the stocks that get crushed in a bad earnings day you know, building, building these little other special portfolios around that whole theme. So have a little exposure, but it's all basically all centered around fundamentals and earnings for me right now. It's just kind of boring. <laughs> Fair enough. Andrew? Yeah, look, I, I'm just continuing to do the same research I've always done and try and find interesting things. I do think the world, it's been really interesting. You know, this is a little outside microcaps, but like the VIX and volatility indexes are approaching real lows again. And I, I just, everywhere I look, I see like lots of volatility in the world or just, you know, Maj mentioned buying blowups. Like I do feel like we're seeing a lot more stocks report bad earnings or have something come out and the stock gets cut 50% and just trying to have the work done on it beforehand to where if the stock goes down 50%, I can incorporate the new news and say, hey, is this a buying opportunity or hey, this is actually really bad because I'm just seeing a lot more volatility in single stock names that if you do the work before you can take advantage of, but uh, I, I'm just kind of surprised by how little volatility is priced in the market. Very good. Jason. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we've, we've, yeah, it's, it's a pretty, I mean, if you're obviously a large cap investor, you're just hoping like, you know, the rest of 2023 continues to be what, what the first half of 2023 is. AI uh, 2.0, send NVIDIA and yeah, exactly. another just, 50%. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but for, 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 for for us little people uh, down in down in microcap land, uh, I, mean, I, I think you know, I have to echo Andrew and, and, and Maj, right? I mean, I think every year I basically try and do what I've done, the, you know, variations of one of the previous year. Uh, I'm just you know looking for more and more, uh, you know, international opportunities. Trying to build, even if I can't find an investment, uh, at least that, buy a, find a stock that I can add to the sort of the watch list. Uh, I think you know, Robert may have mentioned to you, like I've you know, I traveled even to like to Sweden uh, like about a month or so ago and met with some companies for the first time and, and apologized to any investors I wanted to meet but I could not meet and you know I'm intending to do that right so just to just to, to build out the you know the number of companies I look at build out the the uh, number of 
uh, of countries that 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 have micro caps, and, and that's that's really what I'm doing. Very cool. All right, my final question for you guys before I let y'all go here, you know, and this was probably the most important question that we've gotten <laughs> that we need to cover from uh, Troy McClure at uh, Senior underscore Troy Musk versus Zuck in the cage <laughs> match. Who are you taking? You know, your quick take, uh, Andrew, you first. Oh, look, Musk has the size on him, but th- there, there's just absolutely no doubt. Zuck has competed in BJJ uh, tournaments. He's been training. I, you know, if you're doing it anytime in the near future and you put any money on Zuck, I, I mean, I actually think it would be like a put all the chips in type scenario, like bet the farm on Zuck. There is no way. The Musk fanboys are going to drive the Musk line up like crazy. I think you could get really good odds on that. Not true. But it would be like, hey, Bobby's been doing BJJ for 20 years. Andrew, you've got 30 pounds on Bobby. You're going to fight him tomorrow. It's like, okay, cool. I'm probably going to die. Uh, there, There's just absolutely- uh, you, If it was a boxing match, you got the reach on me. Like, I don't know. No, 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 no. <laughs> I... I might be, I've never been in a fight in my life. I mean, <laughs> Musk is what, like 14 years older than Zuck. He hasn't been training. I remember the sh- photos of him on the, on the uh, boat. Like the, Zuck is in good. good shape. He's going to kill him. He's going to kill him. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Jason. No, I would, I would, the only Musk I would bet on in the fight is like if Musk's mom took on Zuck. Cause I think maybe she could beat him. Cause I think she's a, she's one tough woman. Uh, but I would not bet on, on Elon. <laughs> it can't suck. <laughs> I mean, what if it was like no rules? We could like kick him in the balls. Like maybe well, he's got a shot, but like, you know, I don't know otherwise. But oh, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. But but maybe. Uh, but uh, under normal, normal circumstances, uh, I, I bet on, you know, you got to go with Zuck. We, we need this fight to happen, though, because the pay-per-view money, the betting money, all that, it's going to keep, it's going to single-handedly keep the U.S. out of a recession. First, I think it will arguably no doubt be the biggest fight of all time like bigger than any tyson fight any ali fight, like th- any uh what's what's that schmuck the the one guy uh who's uh, thinks he's a boxer the jake uh, what's his name i forgot his jake name paul. jake paul yeah jake the paul. Jake, jake paul fights you know i would love bezos to like somehow join in like you know just just to <laughs> make it like I a true like cage match and I, and I think he could take both of them yeah what if you put like one I, you put- I would still take zuck for zuck and Elon versus Bezos, I, I would be tempted to still, you know, maybe choose Bezos. And I think he's, he's he's looking pretty good. There you go, Maj. How are you handicapping this one? Well, you know, I'm a little out of touch, but uh, you know, with a bigger mouth, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, with with, uh, with Musk, I would not take that drive the odds up. So I'm taking Zuck, and uh, he's got a little bit of a you know smirk about him. He's not as not as loud. So that's and being an cap investor. That's who I want to who I vote for. <laughs> And I think I think as Andrew said, you'd get really good odds on that probably. Uh, and uh, that's 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 what's my take. <laughs> cool. All right, let's leave it there, guys. Thanks so much. Where can everybody go and find more information? Follow you, Andrew. Where can people follow you on Twitter? And, yeah, uh, I write at uh, yetanothervalueblog.com. I have the yet another value podcast, and those are probably the pl- best places to find me. Very cool, Jason. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at you know eight track one eighty, or you can find me on uh, Microcap Club under eight track. Very cool, Maj. You can find me at geoinvesting.com uh, or my Twitter handles um, uh, at Moss Geoinvesting or at Geoinvesting. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, I'll catch up with all of you very soon. Later. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, guys. Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Yes.